Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, what immigration means to the Fortune 500 and Equifax is finally forced to pay up. But first, the battle to dethrone Netflix. So the streaming giant last week came out with a second quarter earnings report that was, in Hollywood parlance, a bomb. The actual financials looked fine in terms of both revenue and earnings, but paid subscriber growth was negative, meaning the company lost 126,000 subscriptions versus expectations of 352,000 additions. And internationally, it added about 2.8 million subscribers, which sounds good until you realize that expectations were about 70% higher. Not surprisingly, the company's stock tumbled. And as of this taping, it's still tumbling, representing over $24 billion in lost market cap since last Wednesday. Why that matters to Netflix shareholders is obvious, but why it matters to the rest of us is that it reflects how the company that disrupted Blockbuster might be getting disrupted itself, from rivals both domestic and foreign. We know that the future of entertainment distribution is mobile and on demand, but it's not nearly so certain who the top players will be, or even that they won't be those cable companies whose cords we thought had been cut. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher. But first, this. With Silicon Valley Bank, you'll get a banking and financial services partner committed to seeing you through the ups, the downs, and the I'm way in over my head moments. There are also scalable solutions that fit each important stage of the startup journey. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. We're joined now by Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher. Netflix, with its earnings last week, it actually beat its earnings expectations, but the stock got crushed. It is continuing to get crushed because of what it reported in terms of subscribers. To you, are the subscriber numbers they reported just a blip that the third season of Stranger Things fixes, or is there a deeper worry here for Netflix? I think it's both. I do think that this is not common and that you're not going to see horrible blips like this happen all the time. And so from that perspective, it's a one-off. But I do think it's representative of greater trends, which is that, again, they are so saturated here in the United States, it's going to be really hard for them to hit any domestic growth targets. Even at this level, it was only 300,000 that they needed to hit. The fact that they couldn't even hit that is telling. And then I think internationally, what we're going to see, and this is a great reflection of your reporting this morning, there is competition coming at them internationally. And so if they want to hit that gross target of 300 million global subscribers, they're only at 150 million now, they're going to have to come from overseas. And I would expect more competition to just heat up. On the overseas, is mostly what you're seeing in terms of competition homegrown rivals? So as you said, you know, this morning we reported on something called iFlix, which is based in Malaysia, and they focus kind of on Southeast Asia and the Middle East. So is it companies like that, or is it big, big platforms, think Tencent, or even maybe coming soon, HBO, et cetera? No, it's homegrown rivals. And so what you're seeing is a similar economics problem that they had in the U.S. is actually happening abroad. So for example, in the U.K., ITV, which is a British broadcaster, joined with BBC and Channel 4 last June to sign sort of a big agreement to create a streaming rival called BritBox. Well, that's going to be something that's going to challenge Netflix in the UK. You see similar things happening in France. There's a streaming service called Salto, which has the buy-in from major broadcasters there to take their content, withhold it from Netflix, and put it on their own homegrown streaming service. You mentioned something that was happening in China with some big platforms, but those are still homegrown. I mean, at the end of the day, IQE, which is owned by Beidou, is the big dominant streaming platform of Netflix. That is not looking to be upended by any international companies like a Netflix coming into China. And so I think that Netflix's biggest problem is going to be that you have homegrown 
companies that are trying to upend its dominance by reserving its broadcast rights or its major studio rights for those platforms. And so Netflix is going to have to invest in creating a lot of local content, which we know they're starting to do. Speaking of homegrown competition, let's go again domestically because there is a lot here, right? You have the Disney Plus service coming. You have the HBO. What, I don't even know. HBO has like 15 different things. And this is the new HBO mm-hmm. streaming service. It's apparently going to have friends because of the Warner merger. Do you expect that they are going to have domestic troubles? You know, they kind of held their domestic base despite the price increase, despite the stories about losing the office and friends. Do you think they're going to start having problems here, even holding on to what they have? I think that they're going to have to face a lot more pressure. I mean, one thing that analysts say, the average person is going to spend around $38 in the U.S. on streaming services. And so if Netflix can withhold its price increases, remember they had a price increase last quarter, which may have accounted for a little bit of the subscriber loss, then perhaps that people are going to hold on to their Netflix account and instead add one of these new services, a Disney Plus or an HBO Max. That might be the case. Although I got to say, if people really do love their catalog content, like you mentioned, Friends or The Office, it is possible that they might ditch Netflix and go where their catalog content goes, whether that be where Friends is or where The Office is. I think the thing to watch here is can Netflix create a new series of catalogs that are going to hold people on? And so what do those catalogs look like? It'll be hundreds of episodes of things like House of Cards or Orange is the New Black or Stranger Things. These types of catalogs might keep people from churning in the future. Netflix just needs to develop them today. This is probably impossible to know, but I'm just curious. When when you think of something like The Office or Friends, did people, for example, sign up and get Netflix because they want to watch those things? Or were they Netflix subscribers who flipped through, couldn't find anything they really wanted, were like, oh, I remember that. That's a familiar title. I'm going to watch it. And then it's binge worthy. So I'm going to watch it over and over. It's kind of like the fallback when you can't find anything else good. Was it driving people to become subscribers or was it just good catnip for subscribers? That's a huge, huge question right now in the streaming world. This is what people say. You want old catalog content to keep people from churning, which means that it will keep people from ditching their subscription service, but you want new content to bring them in. And so I think that what the trend that we're seeing is that in order to get someone to sign up, you give them new stuff. In order to keep them from leaving, you give them the old stuff. And Sarah, final question for you. You and I have discussed this before. You know, the idea that these streaming services popped up originally, you know, to fight back against the cable bundles, right? You know, all this stuff you don't want that you're paying for. But the idea of the cable bundle, of course, was you got to see everything that was being produced. And now you can't unless you have a subscription to Amazon Prime and to Netflix and to Hulu and on and on and on. Is there any reason to believe we will at some point in the near future see some sort of not necessarily official mergers between these companies, but content sharing between them? I mean, it's not impossible to think that might happen. What I think is going to be the future is you have these cable companies, most notably Comcast does this with Xfinity X1, Altice does this with Altice One. You have cable companies who are creating these sort of digital set-top box packages. And what they're able to do is give you all your cable channels, but then they'll say, you know what, here, take Netflix for free or take this for free. And so they're able to digitally combine all of your streaming services with your cable subscriptions into this sort of like $100 a month package. I mean, that, if you think about it, is not that far off price-wise from getting like a live TV streaming bundle plus a Netflix plus a Disney plus. I think that's the future where we're moving into is the cable companies are going to create these sort of digital bundles. I think consumers should expect to not end up paying 
anything different than what they're already paying today for a cable bundle. But what's going to be the key difference is discoverability and accessibility will be so much easier. You're not going to have to flip through different remote controls and different things to get all the content you want. You're one day going to be able to get everything in a digitalized version, both your live stuff and your on-demand stuff. I think that becomes the future pretty soon. Sarah Fisher, Axios Media Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. My final two, right after this. Silicon Valley Bank strives to provide banking services at your pace. Quick, nimble, and always looking ahead. And when you run into a speed bump, they'll have the insights and expert advice to help guide you through it. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is a report showing that 45% of U.S. Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants or by the children of immigrants. The numbers were crunched by a pro-immigration group called New American Economy and shows that the percentage is only growing over time. Now, in terms of the largest U.S. companies founded by immigrants, think AT&T, Amerisource Bergen, and Google parent company Alphabet. In terms of ones founded by children of immigrants, the most notable are Apple and Amazon, but others include Ford, Costco, and Walgreens Boots. Now, why it matters is that this data comes out at a time when the Trump administration continues to seek new ways to raise the bar on legal immigration, thus possibly lowering the number of big companies founded in the future. And finally, credit reporting company Equifax will be forced to pay upwards of $700 million in fines and restitution related to a 2017 data breach that exposed sensitive personal information of nearly 150 million Americans. It's the largest ever such settlement and includes an interesting wrinkle. Specifically, some affected consumers could be reimbursed for the time they spent dealing with the hack. Uh, Think of things like phone calls to banks or credit unions or other such situations. The price of your time, $25 per hour. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Hammock Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.